Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. It's, um, it's my privilege. I feel humbled to be here today just to serve you again. I just want to say right from the bat that as a family for us, uh, one of the great highlights of our whole life has been the just over a decade that we got to partner and serve in the trenches with you here in this great city. Not just this great city, but specifically in this house in Equipers Christchurch. And so from the most sincere place of our heart, uh, we just want to say thank you and that we love you and we celebrate what God is doing in you. I want to say to somebody today that what God is doing in this house is not only echoing in eternity, but it's echoing and reaching the nation of New Zealand. It's such a source of encouragement for us as a family and as a house to keep taking great steps of faith, knowing that there's some crazy people living in a crazy city, just continuing to take crazy steps of faith in this season, who just refuse to believe that their God isn't big enough, who just like, uh, for us, so I can continue to put my family in place of great risk and in great need because I know there's a legacy and there's a, there's, a, there's a brotherhood here. There's so many people that we consider friends and hello to the camera, whoever's in the parents' room, and I just want to say hello to you. We love you too. Uh, with all that we are, we would love my whole family to be in the room today, but my wife and our kids are looking after the home fort. Uh, if we can have the first... Thanks, man. This is my kids. If you haven't met, uh, my name's Nick. I'm the pastor from Equippers in Nelson. Uh, this is my wife, Phoebe, and our two surprise redheads. Uh, Charlotte's just turned four. Benjamin's just over one. And I don't know who's more full on, uh, but they got dad's lungs, and thank God mum's looks. So we're okay. It was a good combination. They landed on their feet, but um, they're holding Ford at home. And it's just so cool to be with you here today. Do you know, uh, there's not what I want to talk about uh, this morning. I really feel there's an assignment here to provoke permission for you to dream. But before I do that, can I just say that there's too many people, well-educated, great, loving, very mature, many are great friends of mine who are comfortable in this season in isolation who've become comfortable in disconnection. Can I remind you as a church body, the body only functions together when it's connected? You can be the best looking piece. Like I think of Etu's arm. Like if I can get a body in heaven, I want to know what it's like to be on the other side of hugging a wall one day and to be the wall. Like, like if you were the best looking arm, do you know the moment that you're disconnected, it doesn't take long for it to become toxic and dead and actually begin to stink? Like we were made to be connected. Can I just say that church wasn't man's idea? Like you have possibly the most intelligent pastors in the movement, let alone the country, and it still wasn't their idea? Certainly wasn't my idea for church, right? This is the thing that Jesus died for, that he birthed. Well, I'm not going to make the call. It's not mine on, on eternity if you're disconnected, but he's coming back for his bride, not for isolated people disconnected. Like don't risk that. In this season, now more than ever, it's so important to our health to stay connected, to stay planted, to stay under covering. And by God's grace, I love that He, is, like, he meets us wherever we are, but He's not going to leave us where He found us. Like He loves this house so much. There's actually a mantle on this house, a mandate to come to a place of maturity. Like to the point where he's willing to shuffle and adjust leadership and influence in this house so that it would bring you not just to a place of semi-maturity, but to a place of great strength. 
Like, I love that we can trust. There's something about apostolic covering and apostolic company, which means that we grow into this place of maturity to reflect something more of actually what He's made us to be. There's something about staying connected in this season. Can I just encourage you? This is a great house. And we love your pastors. It's great, great. So many people, some we consider family. And uh, I just say it's a privilege to be in the room with you this morning. Can I preach to you this morning for a few minutes on what I feel like is one of the most underused and underutilized pieces or areas of, of our faith has some of the greatest potential to shift your future, which is the power of anointed imagination. When I was 13 years old, I named both my children. If some of you are wondering, I didn't have them when I was 13. Like, this is way too early in the morning for that conversation. But, like, as a 13-year-old, I knew I'd have a son and a daughter, and I named them both. And almost 20 years later, when they were born, I knew we were having a son the second time. I didn't care what order they were. But I named Charlotte as a 13-year-old boy because I'd seen this is what my life looks like, which made it a lot easier a couple of years later. Some of you know some of my journey where I had this year in hospital with lymphoma battling for my life. So go, do you know what? This isn't going to take me out because I've already seen some of the purposes of God on the future of my life. And like to be faced with this thing that can kill you and just know in your spirit, this isn't it. My time's not up because I have seen something in the future of what God has on the mandate of my life so I can keep going. Do you know, as a teenager, I had this great burden to reach my school. Like many of you, you want to do something significant for God wherever he's entrusted you how frustrating it is for most of that time to actually not even have any friends, let alone any influence in a school. Do you know how hard it is for an adult male to get access to teenagers at a high school? Like, if you're trying to do that, you need to stop, right? Like, that's not okay, right? But actually, this great burden and not seeing it come to fruition through the opportunity to serve in this house through the Revolution Tour. Do you know, one year, I had principals and DPs call me not me ring them, call me and say, what time works for you? We'll move whatever you need to for an assembly. We were in front of 10,000 students. We opened up a stadium, saw about 2,500 people walk in. And what I had seen as a 17, 18, 19-year-old in a small hall in the center of Christchurch, I watched as 814 people put their hands up to respond to the gospel and come forward because there's something about what had been seen. And like many of you will, will maybe, some of you might not know this, there's a whole lot here who were mucked in with a whole lot of people just loving kids and being able to get contact details to pray for them, to encourage them, to say, you made a good decision. You didn't find me in the mess. I was in the back bawling my eyes out because the dream that God gave me as a teenager even though it didn't make sense, even though it shouldn't make sense that an adult male would be able to play a part in this thing to see people come and significant influence. What God restored in a day was bigger than what I dreamed in years. Do you know anointing sounds like this big thing, right? It's this scary word that sometimes we're not really sure. All it means is God's approval. God's anointing is God's approval. Anything that he approves, he anoints which means that the weight of heaven is with you when God has approved it. How many know in this season, over our lives, we just need God's approval? Come on, in my marriage right now, in my workspace, flip to even read the news right now. I need God's approval. I need His anointing. we got a season where there's division, right, and fear. Division is the enemy. It's a strategy of the enemy. 
Yeah, we get creative in how we stay connected, and yeah, we're flexible and we adjust, but we are unified, right? Like Romans 14 and 15 says to work together for the harmony, which means symphony. I don't know if you've been to an orchestra. They make a whole lot of noise. The school loves it. That's why there's a mosh pit underneath to make, like, that job. I want to be that guy, but with headphones. Yeah, right? Like, but there's something about we all play a different part, but it's the sound together that's pleasant. When we come together, it's okay to have a different grace. It's okay to have a different uh, conviction on different areas of faith. But together, there's something about the beauty. When we magnify who God is, there's a sound that's harmonious, right? Unless it's like me on the cymbals. Let me tell you why this is so important for an anointed imagination. Two things. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus says, hey, let the kids come to me because the kingdom, get this, belongs to who? To the mature, the ones who have rationed and reasoned and understand. No, he says the kingdom belongs to the kids. To the point where he says, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Right? Again, not my place to judge. This is Jesus, right? We're playing for keeps here. Eternity is a long time to look back and regret. Oh, I missed that one. Like I'm driving with my family recently over the hill to Takaka. If you've been that way recently, there's a whole lot of the hill that's flooded out. And you wait for eternity, and then they let you take your turn. And as we're coming around this tight corner, trying not to drive off the cliff, my daughter says, Daddy, did God put me together? And I'm like, I'm a little taken back and also trying not to fall off the cliff. And I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, he did in your mom's womb. Ah, okay. That's all she needed. I was just, okay, now I know. Yeah, cool, I've answered that. She's in preschool. When she gets a cut, they put her back together and stop the bleeding. She says, it's okay. Jesus will heal me. Like, no question. Like, it's not even a debate. She's just got, I'm like, that's my kid. Yeah. What she said, yeah, yeah. Like, like faith like a child, right? Lest it cost you eternity. Right? When do we lose our childlike faith? Right? There's another part in Genesis where God says, okay, let us make humans in our, what's the root word of imagination? In our image. You ever thought about you are the imagination of God? You're God's imagination. Right? He says, let us make humans in our imagination. So he creates us in his own image. In the imagination of God, he creates them. Not only from the conception of mankind where we birthed in God's imagination, but the mandate was to continue it. He says, this is what I want you to do. You're blessed, be fruitful, and multiply. Can I just suggest to you today that it's not just a physical population to multiply, but actually we're called to multiply and be able to just to be able to be fruitful with this thing of God's imagination. Right? To be able to take what he's good until the place that you're entrusted with starts to look like the place that you're really spiritually coming from. Right? You're called to multiply the, the imagination of God in your household, in your family, in this church, right across this great city. I want to multiply something of the imagination of God in how I see you. It should begin to look more and more like how God made you and not like what you've been through. Come on, as a church, we're committed to meeting people wherever they are, but that doesn't mean we're going to leave you there, right? Because God wants to move you from strength to strength. He wants to move you forward. And I believe if we can catch something of the ability to dream kingdom dreams in this season, right? It doesn't matter what's trying to hold you captive. If you can stand in the position to say, God, I want to see this how you see it. 
in my place of captivity, in my place of need, in my place of brokenness. Come on, God. I love the fact that when we're fasting, right, it reminds us what it's like to be hungry. And in doing so, reconnects us with about two-thirds of the world's population. Suddenly, we have compassion for need because we're reminded by this thing that we forgot about. I want to give you three thoughts today. The first is this. Imagination is the womb of the Spirit. And I hope this doesn't bring up too much PTSD for all the mums this morning. But if you ever, like, seen the miracle of childbirth, let me just break this down to its simplest form. There's really two things that the woman has to do. Breathe and push. Right? And all the mums like, yep. Like, breathe and push. You can't get halfway through and be like, I don't want to push anymore. Even if this thing hurts, right? There's some things that come out of a mum's mouth in the middle of that journey that scares the dad. And then we have to act like it's okay because they get the hormone dump afterwards when the baby's born and we're not. They're like, oh, it wasn't too bad. I was like, were you in the same room? Like when Charlotte was born, I said, to, uh, like my wife, because I didn't know I had red hair in my family and I know a bit enough about genetics to know you need it on both sides. Don't say this. Dudes, if you haven't had a kid, whose baby is this? Like, you learn, right? We learn. Some of us are slower learners, but, some, but we still learn. But you've just got to breathe, and you've just got to push. Do you know in your faith journey of discipleship, God only asks us to do two things, just to breathe or to push. Can I ask you this morning, come on, where are you breathing right now where he's just asking you to keep pushing? Come on, where have you been pushing right now where he just says, no, just trust me, I've got this, just breathe. Come on, you just got to breathe, and you just got to push. Something about the miracle of what you see birthed is so worth it. It pales in comparison all the pain that you had to go through to get there. Right? You just got to breathe. Just trust me. Be still. Know that I'm here. We just got to push. God, I got to see you move in this place. This is what I see in my spirit. Until I see it in the natural, I'm going to continue to ask for it. You know, my parents never bought their first home until they were in their mid-50s. I remember in my 20s joining the bank and something got in my spirit to say, don't just believe that you could buy a house, build one. And so we would just visit show homes every weekend and take photos of all the favorite parts of the houses that we liked. We drew it on maths paper. I took it to my architect and said, this is what we see. Can you build this? And they put the plans together and standing in the answer to prayer 25 years earlier than my parents were able to, I'm reminded of the faithfulness of God, something about standing on the shoulders of the previous generation, not in a way to push down, but actually to acknowledge that the sacrifice they made was worth it to the point that we're called to go further. Do you know you're not called to babysit the call of God? In this season, we're not called to just stand and wait until this thing that surprised us, but he's not surprised kind of goes past. We're actually called to take this thing further so that the generations that follow would have a different place to stand from, that our best would become their normal. Imagination is the womb of the Spirit. Let me tell you, three thoughts on this. Oh, maybe, I don't know, one of them's got three thoughts. We're going to get there. It's the morning flight. Welcome to the 930. Here's this, right? Imagination is faith's engine, right? We know that hope is the fuel, but the engine of faith is your imagination, right? Hebrews 11 says, now faith. It's a confidence for what we hope for and the assurance for what we don't see yet, right? Just because we don't see it in the natural doesn't mean you don't sense it. Doesn't mean you don't understand you were born for something more. Do you know the interesting thing about this is it caught my eye the other day. It's not a tomorrow faith. 
or a faith that I'm saving up and that I'm going to have at one point. It's not even faith in what had happened before. It's a now faith. Somebody needs to say now faith. There's a now faith that God has for us in this season, right? It's a now faith. It's the way that we walk, the way that we move. I'm not about to pretend that in 2021 it's not possible to change your engine. Mine blew up on Friday. I had to get a taxi to the airport with a very angry taxi driver this morning. I was quite surprised. That's enough about my life. But sometimes we replace the engine of imagination with our intellect. If I can understand this, if I can rationalize this, if I can work this out, if I can see how God can answer this prayer, then I'll trust you, God. Right? When did we rationalize God down to something that makes sense? When has he ever made sense? Right? Like, have you read any of what he did? Like, dude is a slippery beast. He's amazing. Right? Sometimes we replace not just with our intellect. Sometimes we replace with our indifference. You know, that need for world vision comes on. We just change the channel or skip ahead. We read through the news and somehow we've lost compassion for a hurting and broken world. When did we get to the point where it was easier to just not care? Sometimes for some of us here, we've replaced the need for imagination with our image. I don't even want to share a testimony on my social. I don't want to post a thing about church because it doesn't align with an image I'm pretending to be. Right? Imagination, right? It's the engine of our faith. I remember when I was flatting here in Christchurch with a friend of mine, he came around in a Daihatsu charade. It's a one-liter little car. Just for some context, I have a three-liter bottle of milk in my fridge for my little family, right? This is a one-liter car. And so there's five boys at half past 10 at night. We think, you know what we should do? We'll get Burger King. I don't know how we fit in that car, right? Even if you're more of slender build, right? Like we were squeezed in. The only modification, did one, just one. Can I tell you what it is? It's the big bore exhaust. To this day, the loudest exhaust that I have ever heard. I'm pretty confident that a number of your heads would have fit inside this big bore exhaust. Like no other modifications. We pull up to Bailey Ave, four lanes deep, and all the boy races at that time of night, and blah, 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 blah. And they start freaking out that this sleeper car is going to smoke them. And all of a sudden, in their 40, 50 grand worth of vehicles, they're going to get beaten by a one liter Daihatsu Sharat. When the lights went green, I've never seen cars take off that fast. I know as a city, right, you drive angry. Yeah, I took that with me to Nelson. Turns out I'm one of the only ones. Not everybody does that, right? We live in a different place there. But here, we just drive aggressive. But these guys went for it. I'm pretty confident if, like the Flintstones, we just put our feet out the car. We would have gone faster than we actually were able to in this charade. Like, it just, we just, a lot of noise, but that was it, Right? Somehow it made it back over the little hill again on the bridge side there by Washington Skate Park to be able to get back to the flat with a whole lot of Burger King nestled in between us. We made it. But sometimes I think, where is the area in my life where I've just been listening to a threat that doesn't exist? Right, that has no substance or engine behind it. Right, we see this with the Israelites when they're paralyzed in fear because somebody yapped for too long. Goliath made all this noise, and really, when it came to it, their smallest and weakest soldier took him out in one move. Right, 
But we got paralyzed in fear because we let the sound of the enemy, bah, 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 bah. you can't do that. Oh, no, they don't know about your past. Oh, when they find out that you still battle in that area of your life, oh, God can't use you. Yeah, we can believe that he can do other things. And the noise of the enemy can begin to drown it out. I want to remind somebody, if you've read the end of the book, you know he's driving a one-liter charade. He's got no substance to the engine. It's all noise. Right? We've been listening for too long. Stop listening to the fear that says you aren't enough. God has called you to dream, to have an anointed imagination that restores heaven on earth, to actually be in a place to recognize if I'm seated in heavenly places. I'm not praying for God to answer. I'm praying from the answer. Right? It's a different type of prayer when I'm praying from healing when I'm praying from breakthrough, when I'm praying from my family back together in Christmas, when I'm praying salvation for my sister, when I'm praying for the things that genuinely break my heart, I don't have to pray for them, we can pray from them, right? If he's outside of time, he's already seen it, we just got to get on his timeline. Is this okay? There's this letter in Jeremiah 29. We all know, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. God's got good things. Not knocking that. Don't mean to sound like I did. Just before that, he says, this is what God of everything, heaven's army, and God of Israel, God of the personal and God of everything. This is what he says to captive people. Build homes. Plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry, have children, and multiply. Don't dwindle away. Who has the audacity to say to a generation of people in captivity, I don't want you to just exist there. I want you to multiply there. I want you to increase there. I want you to grow on the inside so that what's on the outside that comes against you can't begin to rob until the outside starts to reflect, until your captives are blessed. What kind of God says dream in captivity? This is the God that we serve to the point where he says, work for the peace and prosperity of Christ church. Pray to it for its welfare determines yours. There's something about the inheritance of what God has called you that only happens when we begin to restore heaven and earth, even in the place that we find ourselves captive. Right? Then he says, okay, cool. And then I'm going to. Not until that point, but once you begin to replicate and shift the place you've been entrusted with, you captive people. Interesting thought that God wants you to be a prisoner. He calls us to be a prisoner of hope. So many times we become a prisoner of our thoughts, but he calls us to take them captive. With your thoughts, you're the jailer. With hope, you're the captive. God wants to keep you captive as a prisoner of hope. Number two. Imagination is purified in intercession. You want to know why some of your life is out of order and some of your dreams hasn't happened? You haven't given it back to Him. Right? It's not until we purify our dreams and our hopes and give them to God. What He gives back, understand that He's approved, He's anointed. Right? But what we've given up is just us in the process figuring out what He has for us. It's purified. Purified in intercession. Our dreams are purified. Here we go. Intercession changes your focus. In Proverbs, it says, trust him with all your heart. Seek his will in all you do, which just means pray. Right? Pray in everything. And then he'll show you which path to take. God, I'm stepping out in this, and I'm believing that you'll show me quickly if I need a change, and if I need a change, tact or adjust. But I'm going to take steps here and ask you to show me. And along the way, come on, as I pray, I believe that you will show me the path. It changes your focus. 
It changes your feeling. Jesus himself says, I don't want to do this when he's about to go to the cross. Sometimes we base steps of faith over whether or not we have peace. Do you think being on a cross was peaceful? Right? It's like to the point where he's sweating what's like drops of blood. I've never been in a prayer meeting where I've sweat blood. Not yet. I've never had a need so big where I've been in that position, right? But in the same breath, in the same sentence, he goes from, take this cup if you can, God, to actually not my will but yours be done. Right? Fasting and prayer, it changes something in our spirit to go, I don't just want my dreams. God, help me to get in line with what you're doing. To the point where it'll shift your feelings. Do you know when you change your focus, you change your destination? Right? You hit what you're aiming for. That's why when you're driving, they teach you at night, look at the side of the road that's on your own with the paint, not the lights of the car coming towards you lest you crash. Right? I remember as a kid being freaked out one Sunday morning on the farm trying to get to church on my DS80, a big heavy uh, steel motorbike. And my dad said, come on, we've got to go. Don't hit the post. And I'm focused on the post. And I freak out and whiskey throttle, and I crack this giant post right in half. We didn't make church that morning. It took us about two hours to get the wires back out of the hedge in the middle of the Waikato and put a post back. And my dad was less happy than I was to be alive. The second time I nearly died was, yeah! You hit what you focus on. Some of us, all we need to do is change our focus. Not only does it change our focus and our feelings, but intercession changes your future. I love the fact that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You ever thought about the fact that when you go to a restaurant, you only got to pay for what you order? Like, give me the steak. You can keep your damn Caesar salad after the fast. I'm not paying for that. I want the steak, right? Here's the point. If the steps of a good man are ordered by God, who pays the bill for what's been ordered? He pays for what he ordered. If I try and do this thing in my own strength and go, God, why am I trying to carry this thing? Well, you started it. You finish it. But if I take a step of faith to say yes to the things that God has prompted me on, I can trust him to foot the bill. Because whatever he approves, he anoints, right? Anointed imagination has just had the approval of God to say, yes, go for that. I've given it back. Now you can run with it, right? Last, last thing. Imagination unlocks your inheritance. Leading into Dream Sunday, I feel like this was a well-timed position for your heart. It unlocks your inheritance. Jesus himself says, hey, I'm the good shepherd. So he lays down his life for the sheep. He's a son but a hired hand will run when the wolf comes to scatter. A son will stay and fight because your today impacts your inheritance tomorrow. If you've got no sheep left, there's nothing to inherit, right? It's maths. Your inheritance will seed your imagination. Abraham has this moment that says, man, if this thing dies with me and doesn't outlast me, what's the point? God, if I don't have a son, What's the point of all this blessing if it's only going to die? If what we're doing in this season, in this city, in our lives is only going to live for our generation, what's the point? Right? If we're not positioned for the one that's coming and God says, not only will you have a son, He says, get out of the covering where you can't see. Step out of your tent. Count the stars if you can. Another point, He says, I want you to count the grains of sand on a seashore. Why? Because if you have clarity of what God has called you to, you won't go back to your past. But until you have a picture that's so clear for what God has called you to occupy and inhabit, you're not going to be able to stop yourself from finding yourself back in the same battle in the past. I don't want to go back to where I've come from because I didn't have a conviction for where I was going. I don't want to repeat the mistakes I've already learned. They sucked enough the first time, right? 
Come on, I'm believing that there's a clarity and a witness for you that God wants to give you so you don't repeat. The disciples themselves, after three years of living with Jesus, when he goes home, dying on the cross, they freak out. And they go back to what they did, fishing. It's interesting to me that when Jesus comes back, he reminds them of their future and what they're called to do in birthing the church to the point where I haven't read about them fishing after that because they had clarity of their purpose, right? Seeds, inheritance, your imagination, your inheritance will seed your imagination. Not only does that, but it also feeds hope, right? In Hebrews 6, it says the hope is an anchor. Sometimes we're going, this storm is too much, and we try and get out of it and then find God, but God's comfortable in the storm, and we wonder where He is. Sometimes He wants to meet us in the storm. The presence of a storm is not the absence of God. The presence of a need doesn't mean He's left, right? He says, return to your fortress. Who's your fortress? He's God, our fortress. It's one of His names. You prisoners of hope, even now, I announce I will restore twice as much to you. Do you know, there's this place in America called Death Valley, which is one of the hottest and driest and most hostile environments in the world. It only rains about every 10 years, and even when it does just a little bit. It's flat. It's desolate. There's a personal word that my wife had recently, and then our church got the same thing. And I was talking to Pastor Byron the week before he came to us, and he said, God woke me up, and I had to bring a message on wide open spaces. And I felt like if I'd brought it last week, it'd be too early, and next week it'd be too late. There's this thing about apostolic covering and company where what's personal becomes corporate because together it's such a bigger reach where I believe there's people that have lived in a season of valleys where God is calling you into a wide open space, a place where you can dream again, a place where you can see again, a place full of possibilities and opportunities for God to just change the landscape. But here's the thing. If you go into a wide open space by yourself, it's isolated, it's desolate, it's barren. God, why am I barren? And where are you connected? If we go together, if we plant together, it's a place that can flourish with opportunities for God to change the landscape. In 2016, in the very same place in Death Valley, it had three rains in a row. And overnight, it went from a desolate and barren and empty place into a place that flourished. Literally within a couple of weeks. Right? But here's the thought. The seeds were already present when it was dormant and barren. Come on, I'm not seeing any breakthrough in this place. It's even hard to believe that you want to do anything. I want to say that the seeds of what God has called you to turn into a place that would flourish are already present in your barrenness, in your isolation, in your emptiness, in the place that just looks dry right now. What if the very potential to turn the landscape around, all it needs is the rain of heaven to activate what's already been planted in your life? Like God says, you've been made in His image, right? It's in you. The process of discipleship is more about removing the mud that got in the way of what God has already put in you. It's not about trying to put something in you. It's about releasing what God has already put the fingerprint in your life on. I just wonder this morning, maybe we can just stand. If you're comfortable, maybe close your eyes. Stretch out a hand. I want to remind you the promises of God. As I just pray. I'd love to pray for you. It's more efficient if we just do this together. God, we thank you that no eye has seen. 
Come on, no mind can comprehend the things that you have in store for us. But in this season, Lord, we're just asking, would you like the next step? Would you show us another part of what you've called us to go after? Would you put something in our imagination in this season of maybe barrenness for some or isolation or great need? At the very least, there is great need. Come on, Otatahi. Come on, for this season, in this city, in this house, Lord, we recognize what's barren and desolate. And we're crazy enough to believe that you've called us to turn that place to flourish, to water the ground together, to plant some things that outlast our generation, that we would see barrenness turn into a place that would flourish. In Jesus' name, I speak permission, come on, to dream, to begin to activate your imagination again and just begin to get, what if it all goes right? Come on, what if it all goes right? Let that be the story that you ruminate on even this week as you just go from strength to strength in the place of the end of the fast. I pray the Holy Spirit would provoke you this morning to dream, to flourish, for the landscape of your life to see the reign of heaven. In Jesus' name, we just release permission right now. Come on, to dream a little bigger. Come on, we've just tapped out in fear and sold it a little short. God, we have the audacity this morning to say, I can trust you to go more. Come on, I'm trusting you this morning for an answer that's better than. Come on, if there's been a denial, come on, I thank you, God, you've gotten more. There's a mandate for more on this house, on my family, on my house, in this season, on my life. Come on, we just trust you, your resource. You order our steps. You approve our life in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.